welcome back to another episode of Ladies First. I am Corey. Elizabeth is here with me. Hello. And Elizabeth, this is her episode's brain baby, so I'm going to step back and kind of let her take over. <clears throat> okay. So, uh, I was under the weather the last time we were recording, and so upon listening to the L Word podcast with, uh, with Lisa last week, um, a couple things that she mentioned that actually sort of sparked an idea in my head about... Um, about why queer women are just kind of bad at dating. And we are. <laughs> we are. Which at first I was like, I should probably, you know, be careful about how I word this. It's like, no, I feel like we all sort of universally acknowledge that we are just absolutely horrible at dating. I have nothing so... to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, so... Instead of talking about a show this week, I wanted to take some time to sort of unpack that as to why queer women tend to be, uh, the, the multitude of reasons why we tend to be a little bad about dating each other. Bad so, or is it extra? Because we're both? kind of really extra about it. <laughs> both. We're both. We are both bad at it, and then when we're actually in a relationship, we're often a little extra. Okay. A lot extra. <laughs> The extraist. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> That's an okay. understatement of the year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, uh, we're a little dramatic. We, we have a tendency to be dramatic. All right. So, but there are, like, there are reasons for this. And some of them are sociology-based. Some of them are psychology-based. Some of them are cultural. Um, so we're going to just sort of start to unpack all of this. Uh, probably at the the most basic level, the, the reasons why queer women are bad at dating each other is um, some of it's just logistical, that we're a small subset of a main population already. So finding each other is already a little bit difficult. But when you factor in homophobia into this, and depending on where you live, you may not actually know another queer person in real life. Mm-hmm. Especially if you grew up somewhere in a small town or outside of, you know, like, say, I, I'm from California, uh, that makes this process have an additional level of of checks you have to do whenever you meet somebody? Well, it's not even that. Like, from me being in a flyover Midwestern state, it's the safety level. Because you never know. Somebody could be giving you all the signals, and the moment you make a move, you find out they're not. And if they're homophobic, I mean... You have no idea what's going to happen. Yes. Yes, definitely. But I also want to say, I also want to say, and you kind of raised this point, it's even smaller if you insist on, you know, dating only women who date only other women. And I'm saying Mm -hmm. this as the bisexual here. Um, We don't have cooties. Um, There's some biphobia inherent in that and i think it really narrows the dating pool on you know both sides yeah you know like especially in the smaller towns when bisexuality is still referred to as oh you're a slut or you're a switch hitter (laughs) i haven't heard the phrase switch hitter in like a decade yeah it's still relevant over there um yeah but your options, especially like if you're a bisexual, if you're a pansexual woman, um, there are some biphobic 
lesbians who really don't want anything to do with you and your dating pool shrinks to almost exclusively either other bisexual women or men. Pretty much, yeah. So it's like smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and your dating <laughs> pool is about the size of a thimble. And a lot of people who are in it would otherwise would not want to know about the fact that you date both men and women. Yes. Which, side note, um, if you ever date somebody who makes you feel like you're not allowed to tell them that you're bisexual because you feel like it would have a negative impact on the relationship, that person is is not a nice person. You should, probably no. shouldn't be dating them. No, you shouldn't. Yes. And that goes for men and women. Yes. Or if they, fet if they fetishize it. That's wrong. Yeah, that Don't. too. If you meet a couple and they're just like, oh, we can't wait to have a threesome and that's all they want, walk away. Unless you're just like, <laughs> really into it that night and you just really want to get some and you're like, okay, you two are hot, just walk away. It's not <laughs> worth it. Yeah. Yeah, it's not worth it. But yeah, so some of it is some of it is just simply logistic or like, okay, so I know this is a stereotype, but I had a funny conversation at TGI Femme Slash last year about this is that um, a lot of queer women just don't drive. And I wonder why this is. I don't. I mean, when we... Yeah, but, like, you live in the center of downtown Los Angeles. Like... I don't have you know, to. Yeah, you don't have to. You have a metro system. You have buses that are functional. You know, like... I just, I just, I, I wonder what causes this. I mean, so some of it may be that we're... That uh, women are more likely to live in poverty, especially queer women. So... That may be a, a factor of it, but we have a hard time getting to each other. Well, I know, like, again, going from where I grew up, especially if you live in a rural area, when I was dating, I'd have to drive two and a half hours to, two and a half hours, that's a five-hour round trip just to even be around other queer women. I mean, okay, so I know it's not a... <laughs> I know it's not a contest, but my last serious relationship, I flew 13 hours across the globe, so. <laughs> it's not a contest, but the point being, I'm trying to make is, like, especially if you're in a rural area, it is very yeah. hard to meet up with other queer women, period. I mean, I would have to do that every week just to be around somebody who is like me. Yeah. No, that, that does make sense. Miss, I live in the Bay Area. I know, I know. Yeah, but I still I don't live in I don't live in the actual city. I live in the. So you still I live have in the, to drive. The I mean, it's still. I do, I do. Yeah, I mean, it's... to meet people who are like you. It is, yeah, which is why the internet is such a boon, or especially the way that we use it now. Mm -hmm. Although the problem with that, as I sort of briefly touched on, is you end up meeting and falling for people who live literally on the other side of the planet. Yeah, that's the other issue. Yeah. So a lot of the, um, like, just the, the basics of why we are just so bad at this is just simple logistics. It's that we are hiking up a much steeper hill in terms of, of a challenge in finding a partner than some others may. We don't get near the availability, I think, for, you know, quote-unquote trial runs that I think straight oh, people do, yeah. that um, we just don't, we don't get the trial runs. We get thrown into the deep end and there you're stuck. You know what? I didn't even put that on the outline because I was trying to figure out how to word it. And that is exactly what, that's exactly what it is. Um, we don't, that's another thing is that we don't, when, when people say date, what they mean is like you meet someone on 
whatever the kids are using these days. Tinder? I don't know. Grinder? Anyway, so you meet some... Grinder is for only gay men. Oh, I don't know what they use. I barely know what the Snapchat is. Oh god. Okay, okay. fine. Did you just say did you just say the Snapchat? Yes, shut up. <laughs> Don't make me feel older than I already feel right now. <laughs> I'm gonna, see, oh I didn't even have this stuff growing up. It was just literally driving to the city, hope you see a rainbow flag, and hope the buildings unlock. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay. That's fair. I remember doing that too, though. I actually know exactly where every gay community center is in the greater Bay Area from memory because of that. But that's the thing. Logistically, <laughs> you know, especially we didn't have the Tinder apps and the whatever else apps that they have right now. We literally, no. it was like, is there a rainbow flag? Let alone, no um, flag, let alone apps that like are just for us. Yeah. Yeah, or let alone, let alone um, especially sites that are specifically for us or have the option of preventing straight people from looking at our profiles. Yeah. Because that's uh, fun. Well, and the other, be- par- the other part is, I mean, it's hard for us as white women. So, I mean, I- you factor in, like, queer women of color. Yep. yep. And I'm sorry, but there is racism in our community. There is a lot of it, yes. So, you know, if you're a queer woman of color, your chances <laughs> of dating are even smaller. Yep. Yeah, it is an unfortunate, unfortunate reality. And also, kind of going back to what you said um, about trial runs, uh, that that I sort of alluded to, that queer people don't date. What I mean is, is that we don't date casually, often, the way that straight people do, in that you sort of, you meet somebody on Tinder, and then you sit down, and I actually had to text somebody who's younger than me and ask, and... Uh, you have to sit down and have dinner, and then if it's not going well, you leave after dinner and just never speak to each other again. Like, that just doesn't happen in the queer community. Everybody knows everyone else. Well, you have to in order to get a date in the first place. Exactly. So even if you do find somebody online and you manage to get to that first dating step, we tend to kind of put a little too much hope on it working out the first time around. Well, it goes back to, like I said, when I mean trial runs, I mean like when you're in high school and, you know, you can date however many boys or girls or whatever you're into you like, you don't get that when you're queer. Because well, you're either in the closet or there's nobody around to date. So by the time you're an quote-unquote adult and out in the world and being expected to date, you never had that practice. You know, actually, that's another thing is that I, I was fortunate enough to get a lot of dating experience in high school, which I think that's the when people ask me why I seem very outwardly confident about it. This is why I'm actually not confident at all. But I learned how to fake it in high school because I had enough I had enough people, enough other queer students around me. But, you know, I'm 28. So this is pretty recently ago that this started to be the case. Yeah, where I grew up, that was not the case yeah. at all. You didn't come out until you were out of college. Yeah, and that's and that's another thing is that um, it's sort of a developmental delay. Mm-hmm. I actually, I would, I would wonder if uh, you probably would would have to wait another couple of years before you could get some really solid statistics on this. Yes, I know, I'm so exciting and single uh, to get some statistics on on the first marriage age for people who are queer. Or we would almost we would actually almost have to adjust the statistics to when you air quotes both agreed that you were married. 
Right. Because this would still if we're be get... legal same-sex marriage. Yeah, because I was going to say, we can only get data the past couple of years. Yeah. Because, like, I wonder... Not to uh, jump on, but you have some stuff here about compulsive heterosexuality. Oh, yes, we we do need to move down the outline here. Um, Okay, so compulsive heterosexuality. So, uh, if you've never heard this term before, basically, uh, what it means is that uh, it's the idea that society enforces the performance of heterosexual gender roles through your education, through social custom, uh, and negative reinforcement against deviating from the social norms in terms of gender expression. So, and also, um, the and often, often laying a little harder on women than men, um, the, the pressure to, uh, not, I don't know about that. Scratch that. Um, anyway, the, the thing, basically, the, the short version is, is that people who are queer, who live in a society that is primarily heterosexual, are still extremely pressured to follow a set of rules that were written for heterosexual people. Mm-hmm. And no matter how aware of it you are, you will always have some level of performative heterosexuality ingrained in your personality just because you grew up around a bunch of straight people. Well, and depending okay. on where you grew up, that all, I mean... Even that means different things. Where I grew up, it was you get married early in college or right out of college and you start a family. Was there still, where you grew up, did you still sort of have that thing where when women went to college, there was sort of that that expectation that they may not necessarily finish because they'll meet their husband and then not need to? Yes and no, and I'm going to sound really bad, but especially for the Especially for the women who went to, like, Christian universities, there was that expectation. Well, that's a that's a cultural thing. It's, um, it's... And I'm not saying this to try and be like, oh, yeah, all these women. It's, I mean, literally where I grew up, especially if you're going to a Christian university, that was the expectation that you were there mainly to find a husband. It was good if you did finish, but you were really supposed to be looking for your husband. Now, yeah. in the state universities, that wasn't necessarily the case because, the you know, your parents are paying for you to go to school and, by God, you're going to freaking finish <laughs> I know, yeah. especially from what I saw with my Christian friends, the expectation was you're going to find a husband. Yeah. But that's what, um, that's sort of like the, that's sort of the, the societal pressures we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, uh Specifically, the one that applies the most to queer women in dating is um, we aren't socialized to uh, be an approacher. We're not. So. Men approach. uh, Men are the ones who are supposed to be doing the approaching. Otherwise, you're predatory. Yes. So even gay men, they were socialized as children, even if they weren't out. They were socialized as children to be aggressive and to be very forward. And so even though they were socialized to be forward with women, and that's not who they are, end up being forward with, they still have that basis of you are, this is, because um, as your personality is developing as a young person, um, the, the, what about this? How do it's you all about this? practice. It's, it's all about practice. It's that um, that young boys are socialized to be much more aggressive, to be more verbal, to be uh, to not take no for an answer. Although that that's it's kind of a loaded 
a loaded statement, but you know that that they're they're socialized to pursue. With women, we're socialized to let someone else pursue us to the point where even if we actively know that someone is pursuing us or wants to, we still will not make the first move because we were socialized not to do that. Some of us. Sometimes you get to the point where you're just like, screw it. <laughs> <laughs> but but the problem is is when we're grown and we're ready, we just kind of even if the other lady's queer and even if you are like staring you just like moon at each other. You just stare <laughs> at each other with little hard eyes and you know how that, that little queer lady dance is. You kinda sit next to him and kinda hedge about some conversation and maybe you accidentally brush hands. Your pinkies are just barely not touching. Or, you know, you've got your knee up against hers and it's just barely touching and then you're kind of <laughs> Glancing at each other and looking away really quickly. And you do that the entire fucking night. <laughs> and nobody makes a fucking move. Unless there's alcohol involved. And then it's regret the next morning. I feel so personally attacked, Corey. But that's the, that's how it goes. You'll spend hours yeah. upon hours of, like, <laughs> secret super code flirting. And nobody makes a freaking first move until it's like six months later, and then you U-Haul because you spent this entire time courting, practically. Which actually, if well, the, see, that's the thing, is if you have that long of a setup for it, that's actually not so bad, because usually it implies that you were friends first, and that's actually a good thing. You, wanted, you want to be friends with the people you date. I can't believe I have to actually say that that way, but you should be friends with the people you date. Yes. Not necessarily for six months, but like this should be somebody where you could conceivably see yourself saying, oh, I would be friends with this person if I wasn't romantically attracted to them. Yes. But I mean, it goes but, back to what I yeah. was talking about earlier. Um, when I said like in high school or when you're a teenager, you have the chance to, you know, approach somebody. And if it goes terrible, you learn from it and you move on. We don't get that chance. No. And even those of us who did, um, it's still... <sighs> I've never actually been curve. I've never been asked out. And a lot of this is because I do have the outward confidence to give the or I, I give off the illusion of having outward confidence and I wear a leather jacket sometimes. Um, inevitably, what will happen is I will wait to I will try to wait to be asked out and eventually will finally just lose my temper and just get forced into not forced but i i will be the one to make the first move simply because the other person waits so long that my patience runs out first or the other scenario and this one's my favorite because it's how i've wound up in relationships you <laughs> him and ha so long that you just kind of fall into the relationship and it's like oh we're dating now nobody even oh. says anything you just suddenly you're dating because you've spent so much time it's like oh, okay i guess we're dating you yes, or like like inch towards it at a snail's pace, and then one day you wake up and it's like, oh, I guess we're dating. Okay. Yeah. No, and then and then everyone in your friend group is literally just like, like waiting on it. Yeah, and they won't like say the, when they, you finally came. They are no, they don't. They never loyal. say anything. They do not help you. They don't help you. <laughs> You're supposed to. Be yeah, they never say man. anything. Yeah, I've I've never terrible had an effective wingman, wingman my entire wingman. life. Terrible, terrible <laughs> lesbians yes. and bisexual women, make terrible wingmen, wing women. Well, this goes back to some wing women. Some of the some of the socialization issues is that um, is that women will will reinforce compulsive heterosexuality with each other. 
so in that we that we tend to be terrible we tend to be terrible wingmen in the sense that, especially if your wingmen are also queer women they'll be like oh no just like wait and see because like and again like some of this comes back to homophobia that we want to be a hundred percent sure mm-hmm. before putting yourself out there but even if it's someone you know is queer it's still we still end up doing this dance yeah like i think i think a, a lot of queer women have at least one or two if they've had um a couple of relationships have at least one or two that were actually not technically a relationship it was all it probably was in everything except words i guess right that like like you know it's kind of i'm I'm struggling to describe well i've been there i had (laughs) you know and my favorite is i'm not really looking to date anybody right now i just want to have fun oh well okay yeah well, I'm not going to be that asshole, so I'll just hang out with you. We'll have fun, and I'll be your friend. And then six months later, you're at the ba- same spot again. You're dating. Yeah, or or you realize that you've been doing emotional labor for free. That too. But well, yeah, and the, that's like like what if I my my um one of my longest and most intense relationships was never actually a relationship like officially. Everybody calls it that. All of our friends refer to it as when when I and this other person were dating, but we never actually technically were dating. Again, and it's not like she and it's not like she wasn't out, and it's not like she wasn't out either. She had been out for years. It was just like for for yeah for women who are (laughs) don't phrase it like that. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's what it is. I'm not talking for... about sex. I'm just saying, you know, saying in words. <laughs> we can't fucking say in words. Oh, hey, are we dating? Or, yeah, hey, we're, we're very bad. you seriously. It's just we kind of yeah. him and we haw, and then it kind of comes into it. Or, you know, I know the younger ones, and I'm not personally attacking anybody, but I'm saying the younger ones will go on their tumblers and be, I know I sound really old right now. They go on their tumblers like, oh, this girl, she's, she's. Cute and she's queer and I saw her today in class and we shared a pen and I touched her hand and you'll see it goes on for like six months and all of a sudden they show up in videos together and they're dating. Pretty much, yeah. I was gonna say, Corey, you didn't do that on Live Journal back in the day. I didn't have a Live or... Journal until 2010 <clears throat> when it was way too late and Tumblr was starting. <laughs> I was gonna say until it, or a, a Zanga. God, we're so old. Oh, I had a Zanga, but all I did was talk about Broadway shows like Wicked and Rent. I was, yeah, I was, <laughs> I was so boring with my social media because I was from the Midwest. So oh. like, you never know who can look at there. There's going to be some predator who wants to attack you or some satanic cult. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, satanic oh panic did not leave the Midwest until like 2005. Uh, we, we grew up I on different planets. Because I know a group of Satanists in Oklahoma and they were the nicest people I've ever met. <laughs> Yeah, we we grew up on different planets. Yes, but yeah, but all of that to say is, uh, or like, and really, some of it goes. It comes back to the fact that we have no really good solid role models. We, especially in media, there's for no- for dating the role yeah. models specifically for dating. Alex Danvers is a great role model. But she's <laughs> she's new. We didn't get her until fall of 2016. What did we have yeah. before then? Not even a year. Um. Well, yeah, but also like, or that uh, that a lot of our media follow because it because because life imitates art, art imitates life. Mm-hmm. That uh, like Carmilla, Carmilla is like one of the greatest case studies in how queer women are so bad at <laughs> at starting things. The entire first season of Carmilla is so I love this show so much, and part of it is that 
with every time Laura says, now I know you didn't do it for me, and I'm just like, Yes, she did, you little idiot. Yes, she did. Of course he did it for you, stupid. look at somebody with that amount of thirst in your eyes, I mean, not completely ignoring the vampire part, I'm talking about the other kind of thirst. (laughs) I know you're not blind, Laura. I know you're not that blind. I'm, well, clearly she is, because it took until the end of the first freaking season. No, she's I was not. actually she expecting it to get dragged out a little bit more. Yeah, if they had a, if they had a for sure second season lined up, I almost would say that they may have dragged it out another season before committing to it. Oh my god! It was yeah, so or and then like on the painful. But then you have the other side of the equation where you have something like Bo and Lauren, where I almost say to the that they processed everything almost to the point of excess. I Bo and Lauren are lost. I have a confession. Um, uh huh. I you've never seen Lost Girl. I've seen certain episodes of Lost Girl. I never really watched it that seriously. <clears throat> I know okay, of well, it. I know they got a happy ending. Yes. Okay, but it's, every time something would happen, the plot would come to a grinding halt so they could sit down and discuss it. Now, processing is very important in real life, um, to an they extent. They started obsessing on it? Yeah, they started, they started obsessing on it, um, that Bo would be, that Bo was, never, the word was never used in the show, but essentially is polyamorous. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's written into her character that she kind of bites you has to be in order to live because she's a succubus. She feeds that way. So, but then, like, ugh. see, the more I think about it, the more I remember that the show was an absolute disaster. But every time that something would happen, they would have a big, long conversation that never actually went anywhere. So they were processing, but they weren't actually making progress moving forward. Well, you want to but talk this about is... a show to hate. I'm going to talk about, we, talk... we can get back to your, what? What did they call it? Docubus? Is that the Port Montero? Docu- okay. Docubus, yeah. Well, table Docubus for a second. You want to talk about a show that put out something that I hate. It's going back to the frickin' L word and shame. I was going to say, we already spent 45 minutes ripping on the L word. <laughs> I know, but I want to drill in specifically. You even wrote it here with a nice bull point of the bull point, bullet point, bullet point. about the boy phenomenon. Yes. When we say boy, it's spelled B-O-I. And the spelling is important because it actually does denote a separate subculture of queer women. Specifically, lesbians. Oh my goodness. I now. Just, you do it. I'm I worried. angry and I sputter. I was going to say, I, 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 there's probably going to be somebody who's going to send me a nasty email about this. But that's okay, because I can take it. I'm a, I'm a big kid. So, the boy phenomenon... <laughs> Well, okay, I, the, the, the nasty, the, uh, most people acknowledge this phenomenon exists, the nasty email is going to come from how I'm going to describe what the boy phenomenon is, is that um, boy, the boy phenomenon amongst lesbians is us adopting elements of toxic masculinity and adapting them for our own use. So, things like, like Shane's character in The L Word is the absolute epitome of this, and honestly, I would blame blame that character as being the origin of this phenomenon. Oh, I would. But well, it's you things- know I would. <clears throat> it's things like calling women, other women bitches and hoes, treating them like garbage. A lot of, a lot of this phenomenon was around, um, it was revolving around frat, like kind of like frat boy culture, mm-hmm. women acting like frat boys, being friends with them, that sort of thing, and then 
being treating women the same way available too. Yes. Which I mean, some people aren't emotional, but this is, this is like, this is toxic. Like this is unhealthy. This is an unhealthy level of detachment. Mm-hmm. So, but, I mean, the thing of it is though, and we touched about it in that last podcast is this was Shane for the longest time was really, or even the L word was really the only representation we had that was mainstream ish of what the dating scene was like, or what dating as a queer woman was like. And that entire pool was this incestuous pit of (laughs) awful and terrible shit. And we just internalized it and we kept propagating it forward. Yeah. Yeah. And we see it boiling over in other media and we're just finally starting to get healthy characters. You mentioned Alex Danvers and Maggie Sawyer. I love Sanvers. I know you love Sanvers. And one of the reasons I do. We, we've talked about why we love them is because they're an example of positive queer dating. I, I have to say, the part of the reason why I was so enamored with Sanvers, especially with Maggie, is, like, this is the first time in a long time I've seen a relationship where they actually feel like a couple to me. And when I say that, I mean that... They're integrated into each other's lives in a way that has nothing to do with their romantic connection. They're friends with each other's friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we don't know Maggie's friends, but the, like the, clearly the implication is there. Right. Or that that car is very casual, like, oh, hey, Maggie. Like, I love that scene just simply because it implies that this is just normal. This is just part of she's part of Alex's life now. Right. But this is like a really, really new concept to have relation like. Essentially, Alex and Maggie are written like the stable power couple that usually would be given to a heterosexual couple. The Lillian Marshall with guns. I was, yeah, I was about to say um, Al- Alison Hannigan's character on um, How I Bet Your Mother. But yeah. and the, the thing I like about them is it's another point you have of Supergirl doesn't give them all this pressure of like, oh, they're soulmates and they're meant for each other. They're just too- yes. Fairly functional adult women that like each other and think each other are cool and they compliment each other and they support each other. There's none of this soulmate stuff that has been so perpetuated within our community. And I, again, I think it goes back to you only have so many options, oh. so you try to make it count. In addition to that, that that queer women we've talked about this a lot before. That queer women only get so a, such a so large of a percentage of the screen time. For a TV show, so we don't actually, even if, even if ostensibly there would be more development to the relationship, with say like for example with Klexa, there almost has to be because they have almost no screen screen time together. But the, so all this impetus and gravity is being placed on them for just a few scenes, and instead of us being able to see them as like this, you know, growing healthy relationship or just even. A semi-so-so relationship that's fun for now won't last like you do a bunch of heterosexual couples. It's all this, oh, they're meant for each other. It's this big, epic, overblown, crammed into a few scenes. And that's, we see that and we internalize it. And, you know, I'm not going to wade into the Klexa thing because I know I will say something that will get me angry emails. I was going to say, you don't watch the show, so we're going to let that one go. But... Um... Carmilla, funny enough, with its run, considering its runtime, Carmilla is almost as if you took a regular season's worth of queer content and then just cut out everything that wasn't queer. 
Like, Carmella almost feels like a B-plot for a regular TV show that just made that the A-plot. And this is so what you I actually do. do appreciate with Carmilla, though, is because season one did feel like it was this big, overblown, soulmate crap. And, and then they got a season two, and they corrected that. Yeah, they completely lampshaded this in season two and broke them apart and, you know, made them have to Come back deal together. with themselves, I guess. And by the time they do finally find the, their way back to each other in season three, it's none of this over soulmates, it's... Oh, okay, I see you as a person. Yeah, we've worked, we've, that's Laura's whole speech at the end of season two. I don't remember it. Okay. Well. I'm sorry. I, I was going to say, like, this is a little bit out of your, your age demographic, oh, so. Oh, gee, oh. Even, oh. even I'm, I'm like far, far on the, the absolute top edge of it. I see how this is. <laughs> I'm taking my Sanders and I'm going home. No, you're not. They're my age, not yours. Alex and Maggie are canonically about 28 years old, so. Okay, so who do anyway. they have that's in their early 30s? Well, see, that was another point that I had, um, was that a lot of, the, that's the other thing, okay. No, you can, it's okay, you can have Sanders, I didn't really mean it. Uh -huh. Um, so that's another thing is why Sanders feels so novel to me is that um, most relationships on TV for queer women, they're either too young to be relatable to me or they're too old to be relatable to me. Like well, Alex and Maggie, about Alex and I Maggie split the two. Yeah. Yeah. Alex and Maggie split the difference between Carmilla and the Fosters. Yeah. Because I mean, there are examples like with the Fosters, but it's, you know, they're still a good decade above me. And even if that's not, even if not just considering age, um, marriage and children is so far distanced from my reality. Right. Like, this isn't relatable to me. <laughs> I, I need to find someone to marry first before, before we get there. you don't want children, and the idea of having children is just complete another anathema. Yeah. Because some people, yeah, some people don't like children, and so then that aspect of the show is now sort of alienating to them because they wouldn't have families like that. Right, I mean, I mean, we do, we have started, and I've noticed since the Spring Slaughter this last year, we did start getting shows that had, at least they're no longer in high school. Yeah. Um, yeah. Old time, old <laughs> right now, you know, they're 20-somethings, <clears throat> earlier 20-somethings, but, you know, early to mid-20-somethings. somethings Waverly and Nicole are probably about mid -20s, late 20s. Early mid-20s? Maybe mid-20s, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're, I would they're, say they're, I would say Nicole adults. is supposed to be my age at the oldest. They're established adults. Yes, that I can watch and not be like, eh, no, I can't do this. They're too young. Yeah, because there's a lot of extra angst associated with being probably about the, like you really your your brain's not done developing until you're about the age of 25, and mm -hmm. 25 is about the absolute earliest that most people's lives settle down enough to sort of have a serious relationship or one. That will require a whole lot more work to keep together than it would if you were older, simply because of emotional maturity and also that you're able to establish yourself in your career and where you live and that sort of thing. You, ha you have a better sense of self by the time yes. you're 25 than you ever will in your early 20s. Yes, absolutely. Like, I... If I if I had versions of myself from when I was eighteen, let's say like 18, 20, 22, 26, and 28, we wouldn't recognize each other. 
Oh, I would like not... that's how that's how drastically you change. My eighteen-year-old self and my thirty-three-year-old self would be so far removed. It... Yeah. Oh goodness. Of course. <laughs> yeah, you're basically two completely different people. Stage. I was fashionable in high school, so I don't have this problem. (laughs) Okay, again, when I was graduating high school, it was 2002, and you know what the fashion was at that time. I, yeah, I was in middle school. Yeah, well, you have an excuse. I was just, I was. Yeah, glitter glitter jeans don't seem so ridiculous. Glitter jeans don't seem so ridiculous on a 10-year-old like, I'm glad I wasn't in high school in the, the late I had 90s. silver <laughs> jeans. Like, I had silver Ooh. shiny jeans and a silver light-up, like, PVC-type jacket with, like, silver and oh blue shoes. I mean, I was pretty ridiculous. <laughs> See, I I missed the uh, the um, the emo movement had just started I when mi- I was in high I school. I completely missed the emo movement. Okay, but here's the thing. I was in it when it was emo and sort of a revival of grunge, so the fashion has held up pretty well because it was basically just skinny jeans, flannel, and converses. Yeah, see, my but like, wrong. but the next one, the next, the 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 one that started in 2008 was seen. I'm so glad I missed seen, so I didn't have any ridiculous hair pictures. Anyway, we're way, way off topic. What scene is? I'm showing my age. I don't know what scene is. I've heard about the scene kids or seen this. I'm like, well, that's nice. <clears throat> Okay, scene is to emo what hair metal and glam rock are to 70s metal. Okay, that... So it's just like a subshoot. Well, it's a flamboyant subset of another genre of music. Anyway, we're off topic. Um... <laughs> yes, it's... How old is Corey Hour yeah. now? Um, but no, going back, though, like, <laughs> 18-year-old me with dating, you know, especially looking like that, would... Oh my god. Uh, Queer women often tend to be either ridiculously fashionable or not at all, and there's just not a lot of space in between. Yeah, and especially when you're young, and you're just in a small town, and the only way you can kind of carve out any kind of individuality for yourself, or some kind of self-expression, is through fashion, and you know you can't go, like, quote-unquote, full-on lesbian. Or so full you, punk rock. Actually, that's yeah, often a substitute. I punk rock. I mean, I... There you the go. The first day of my senior year, I dyed my hair blue. And then I ran home and washed it out before my mom found out. But, I mean, that's... <laughs> that's the only yeah. stuff you have. I, I was going to say another I another quintessential... dating. The only way I could express it, I another qu- maybe a little bit queer, was spray painting my hair blue and running home to wash it out. I was going to say, like, another quintessential queer experience is the changing of the clothes before your parents come home. My clothes were fine. It was the hair. As long as they didn't catch me with the hair. I remember I, I drove home. <laughs> my parents were home. So I drove over to my grandma's house and I begged her not to tell them while I washed it out. Oh, my God. This is amazing. Yeah. That, that but yeah, but that's teenage rebellion as a yeah, queer so... person in a very tiny community. <laughs> But that's also probably why, this is probably part of why a lot of us kind of gravitated towards those subcultures, especially punk rock and emo. Especially emo, because it had such, like, a, with the, the men all wear, wore eyeliner in really tight pants and very tight clothing. It was a subculture that was actually weirdly accepting of non-normative gender roles. You were at least allowed some kind of self-expression within there. 
Yeah. I was actually just thinking about this the other day is that when you'd have like a pair of a pair, like a, a couple, like a boy and a girl who were emo or seen and people would joke like you can't tell which one is the girl from behind. And I'm just like, but isn't that a good thing? <laughs> but again, though, like even being in those subcultures, your options for dating are limited. And especially if you insist on being in that subculture, then your options for dating are even more limited. Yes. You know, yeah. my little punk-ass self from a rural cow town going into the big city with that hodgepodge was... That was attractive for the city lesbians. Oh, let me tell ya. <laughs> I was gonna say, that's an oddly specific rap sheet there. Yeah, no, I have horror stories. I have lots yeah. and lots of horror stories. <laughs> But again, we're terrible at dating because we don't have either an avenue of self-expression that you can feel to be safe about with your identity to, or there's a small pool of people, or we're just too young. But by the time you do hit that 25 and you think, okay, I'm, I'm in control of myself, I know who I am now, I want to start dating, well, now who's left on the market? Yep. Yeah, and even someone like me who dated, has been dating since I was like 14 or 15 years old, dating women, um, even then, it's I almost still feel like I'm in the same boat half the time. That even with all of this experience, I still can't overcome the, the air quotes tropes of, of queer dating. Well, we've internalized it, though. We have a lifetime of unpacking to do. Yeah, or even like you realize it when you're 28 doesn't mean you don't have 28 years of conditioning to un you know to unravel. Exactly, and even you know like like we were um, like Corey, I I went down to Southern California last week, uh, but you know Corey and I got dinner and the waitress was quite cute, and I had a hard time like answering her questions because I was really flustered and Corey was making fun of me for it. She walked away, and the first thing you said was, she has a Millhouse tattoo. I Yes, I'm going to make fun of you for that. That wasn't the first thing I said. The first time she walked away, I said, oh, God, she's so cute. I know, but the second time when she came back, because there was a kerfuffle with my card, and she came back, and she was just leaning over me, and Elizabeth's just staring at her the entire time, and she walks off, and I hear this kind of quiet, she has a Millhouse tattoo. <laughs> I'll have you know that my face is bright red right now. I mean, we're not trying to be like, oh, everybody else does this but us. No, Elizabeth just did this a few days ago. <laughs> and then Corey turns to me and says, you are so gay. <laughs> yes, yes, I am. Well, seriously, she has a house <laughs> tattoo. You are so gay. <laughs> But yeah, and that's like, and the, see, this is why I always love that, like, a ter that the phrase "useless lesbian" is a term of endearment because we are just kind of useless <laughs> in this regard. Well, yeah, you kind of really were. Well, because we're well, because like, and all, because queer women are just enamored with other women, not necessarily in a sexual way, but we often are just kind of a little bit overwhelmed by them, which is charming in its own way. But it kind of, you know, it's good because it means we respect women. It's bad because it means that we have a hard time talking to each other. <laughs> right. And you know, I'm not saying like yes, go hit on the waitress who's just trying to do her job. But yeah, so that is the other the other thing is that I, I wouldn't do that to someone at work, right? Because so. <laughs> you know you're yeah. an adult and you realize that's not the time or place. You were still hilarious though. Um, point <laughs> being, 
I mean, it's yes. still stuff we have to unpack. I mean, yeah, maybe you have a permanent relationship, and that's fine. But, you know, even for me, it was, like, a year, and I had to spell it out. <laughs> and I'm going to tell actually... you the worst part. Like, uh-huh. he made me say it. He wouldn't, he would not say anything. Like, he made me say it. And I was just so angry that night, because I'm like, oh my god, you're the man, you're supposed to say this shit, I'm supposed to be all free from this. Which is actually, I was gonna say, because at first I was like, where are you going with this? But like, but you're right, because, um, and I I have on word from some bisexual friends who have said this, that then go, when, if you've been dating, if you've dated women and going to men, and then you have always make the sort of erroneous assumption that this is going to be simpler. It's not. It's it not. It's so just difficult not. in different ways. <laughs> I mean, there was like three extra months we could have been like officially dating that I was just hemming and hawing around like a useless queer lady before he because you've been... just made me say it. Because I was going to say because you've been be following respectful. the script. Huh? I was because you were following the script. I was following the script because I was so used to women. And he was wanting to be respectful and not to assume. So I had to come out and say it. I'm just like, the one time you could have just... Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, pretty but much. again, no. I was following the script because I'd been dating women for so long. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying this after I just, you know, made fun of Elizabeth. I kept on that script dating. I yeah. didn't abandon that script. I just got married. I'm just like I'm just I, I just had this this flash of a memory that uh, one of the girls that I dated in high school for like a year and a half or something. Um, I distinctly remember before we started dating, the courtship process lasted like six months. I met her in a class, and then I had a crush on her friend, and she was trying to help me get with that friend while she had a crush on me. And event, but that friend was straight, and eventually that friend was like, "You realize that." Our other friend has a crush on you, right? I was like, really? As it's coming out of my mouth, I'm like, what is this fan fiction shit? And then, <laughs> and then I distinctly remember, but when we actually, air quotes, asked each other out, there was a 15 minute sort of, not argument, but like, conversation that boiled down to, you say it, no, you say it, no, you say it, no, you say it. What about, and then like, Finally, I can't remember which of us. No, it was me. One of us finally broke and was like, "Will you be my girlfriend?" Oh, like every man. everything, everything is like pulling teeth with us. Well, and then, and then dating itself can be a nightmare because a lot of us, when we are dating, it's long distance relationships, and those are fucking hard. Oh man, those are hard. I mean, you can do it. It's a really great chance to, like, sharpen your communication skills and learn to be your own person within the relationship and not be completely subsumed by the other person. But it's mm -hmm. still hard. Yeah. And then, on top of that, if you break up, because there's oh, such no. a small pool, it is just catastrophic. Your yeah. friend group is completely shattered. Like, it's rough in a heterosexual context, but when... You're, there's like, like you said, when there's only ten queer people in town. Yeah. Yep. Especially I would actually if somebody has dated somebody else. 
Oh, yeah, no. So, like, I live, okay, so I live in a suburb, it, it's a town, but, like, really it's a suburb of a larger city. There's something like 40,000 people live here, and I feel like I've, in the, the 15 years I've lived here, I feel like I've officially drained the entire dating pool. Because... And so, and this is the other thing is that because queer people, because we're a small community, we all know each other, or we have we have our own version of like the instances of Kevin Bacon, which is basically the chart from the L word. But I hate that show. So. Yeah, we're just gonna stick. But with Kevin we Bacon. all. Yeah, but it, like it's that we can link each other to each other. Like every time I meet a new queer person in the Bay Area, it only takes us about four or five people to figure out who, what friends or exes we have in common. And that's not exactly conducive to dating either. No, it isn't, because then every person you ever meet already has a preconceived notion of what kind of person you're going to be like based upon second and third hand accounts of you. Yeah. So that's a fun bit. That's a fun hill to have to hike up. Chance to just have that first impression. Yeah. It's always that. Oh, I know her. So and so and said so and so is blah blah, and then she dated so and so, and there's this entire backstory that you don't get any input in that you're yeah. dragging around with you because everybody knows everybody. Exactly, and for someone like me who was president of the GSA in high school, the effect is even more pronounced. Everybody here knows who I am. Yeah, I didn't have that problem. I, I was a little bit luckier in that I was like this country bumpkin going into the city <laughs> yes but even then once you start ingratiating yourself there's only so many people there yeah and only so many people who you are compatible with in the first place that's another thing that like always irritates me about media when they have two queer characters and you're like well they have to get together is um you actually have to have things in common with the people you date well, this is the reason why like long long distance relationships are hard but i actually would all in the Current, the way that the current world is with how much technology we have, I'd almost recommend that everyone should have one at least once because it will teach you how to communicate well. Yes, this is it will teach. It will teach you what is really truly important in a relationship because if you can maintain a long distance relationship, it means that you're not just relying on the crutch of physical contact. It means that there's actually substance to the relationship, not just your physical chemistry. Right, and like I said, you know, you learn how to be you within that relationship, not, and this is the thing with, you know, you know what I'm And you learn how to communicate. Two queer women finally start dating, and it is just an explosion. Yeah. Well, when you're a long distance, you don't have that explosion that you can get <laughs> so enmeshed in that it's hard to see who you are in the relationship. You already have to be who you are in that relationship independently of the other person exactly yep. so you already have a defined sense of who you are by the time you guys don't have to be long distance anymore mm-hmm. yeah and also that that's so much of the relationship is just built on sharing yes. sharing of interest sharing of emotions on communication which it's like a it's like a therapist's wet dream Especially queer women, because we tend to be a we we tend to be very we tend to be verbose in this way. Yeah, just in, how did your day go? Yeah, like that's like the, there was a Tumblr post I saw the other day where it was like the like the the random woman who asks you are you okay when you're crying in the bathroom at a bar does more emotional labor than than most men do yeah. in six months at that because like because it's so true. <laughs> Well, it that, is. And, but and, because and, women, we are just like this, so. 
Yeah, but then you've got the whole dating thing, especially with queer women, where it's like there's an explosion of emotional feelings trying to be mm-hmm. done. Yes. But it's not necessarily done effectively. It's so weird to say, but it's almost like we take it too far in the other direction. Yeah. Well, it's like you were saying, uh, cycling back to Docubus. I told you I'd get back there. Uh, mm-hmm. When you were saying they were sitting down and processing, but not actually making any progress. Yes. Yeah. Bo and Lauren have the same conversation no less than five times in that season. It's just variations on the same. Essentially, essentially what the same conversation they are having is I don't trust you around Dyson and finding all the different ways you can say that without just saying I don't trust you around Dyson. Well, like there, I just I just saved you the trouble of watching season three of Lost Girl. <laughs> yay. Not that I was going to watch it anyway. But, but no, I mean, it, it, it is a good it's show. Like you, but... you can fall into that rut of we like to talk, but then we just talk about the same thing without ever actually progressing from it and getting that resolution which is again why i love sandvers they talk and they have resolution yeah i was gonna say like because it's not just enough to talk it's not just enough to process the process the emotions you have because you have to go through this is like a like a cognitive behavioral therapy thing but it's not enough to just talk about the talk about it because that's the first step the next step is you have to be proactive in okay where do we go from here what is the next step right so with Sanvers, it's not just Maggie telling Alex about how she was outed and then coming around later. Or rather, um, that's a bad example. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of a. Well, when her ex showed example. up. Yes, yes. And Alex goes, I forget and this? I don't want to say confronts, but when she, she talks does. to she her, confronts her. She confronts she her. She gently that's... confronts her. Um, yes. But they actually work through that and they make process as process progress as a couple because we have Alex telling Maggie and maybe the first time she's heard it of I want to be there to help you with this. Yeah, I'm here to help you heal. Yeah. And it's the Uh. same thing earlier in the season when Alex has her big major flip out and promptly dumps Maggie because something happened with Kara. Maggie tells her you get one. Yeah, you get one. I understand what? this, but you can't do this to me again. We have to move forward. Yeah, we have to communicate. Which is something like this will. I don't have to turn this into Sandbird's Hour. We're, we'll be getting to that one soon, and I'm super excited for that. But, um, <clears throat> but yeah, that like when Maggie and Alex talk, there is always a very clear arc to how it happens that. Um, especially with Maggie, because Maggie has that thing that she repeats throughout the season is um, she's, I hear you, or I don't like not being heard, or my biggest pet peeve is not being heard. And she actually does say the phrase, I hear you, a lot. And then, but that's, you know, that's that's the processing part. And then the next part is, okay, so how do we move forward from this? And they all Sanders because they always have the second half of that conversation. is Okay, so how are we going to prevent this from happening again? And again, that I wish we had more relationship depictions like this of like, you know, this sans, you know, some alcoholic tendencies from Alex. Um, but most relationships should be being portrayed in an adult manner like this. You yes. Talk about this. I like you outside of just being in a relationship with you or what you do for me. I like you for you because we have things in common. You compliment me and I think you're a rat as hell. I'd really like to kiss you. 
<laughs> from Sanders. Yeah, no, I gathered. <laughs> also, so I wasn't just making a confession there. <laughs> See, you're the reason why we're going to get shipped. I'm going to blame you for this, and it's going to be that moment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, okay. Anyways, yeah, that is, wrapping yeah. up, um, we're almost <laughs> out of time, but I think the main point we're getting at is we have some work to do. <laughs> yes. I yeah, and this know is, why this it one... happens, but we still got to fix it. Yeah, and this one is more discussion-y. It's just sort of fleshing out an idea. But, like, I just, I, I like this particular, I, I like this topic in particular because it informs so much of how, it, it, it's sort of like another step to the thing that we, we just discussed with the L word, is that so much of our media has such a profound effect mm-hmm. on our own culture, our own queer lady culture, and our our cultural tropes and our cultural traditions, even. So I want to see more shows that have the idea of molding that culture in a good direction. Right. Because we are so influenced by media. Because for a lot of us, the media is the primary... It's the primary way that we get exposed to queer culture at all. And unfortunately, up until now, the best we had was L Word, so... Yeah. Our dating script is terrible and we need a new one. And I feel like Sandverse is probably one of the best new examples. Yes. On that note... We would love to hear your comments, even if it's just terrible dating stories that you realize are from patterns we described during this hour. Yes, please. Let's we, let's we all share our horrible dating you. stories. Yeah, we already shared <laughs> ours with you. But, you know, any comments, we'd love to hear them. Um, like us on iTunes. Um, just, you know, even if you listen to this and it doesn't apply to you, you probably know someone it does apply to. Share it. <laughs> share it out into the world. <laughs> Yes. Okay. Although for real, though, share your terrible dating stories. I love these. I live for them. Yes, we want to read them. All right. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We will be back. In two weeks. In two weeks with another episode. I think you'll like it. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Mm-hmm. I think you'll like it. So, yes. tune in, comment. Again, we want to hear your dating stories. And take care. We'll talk to you later. Bye.